Hello and welcome to the Recovering from Religion podcast. Our mission here is to offer hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. What follows is the audio from selected videos posted on Recovering from Religion's YouTube channel. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Today, one of our guests is uh, Sherry DeSosa, and she's amazing. Uh, if you haven't seen her Faces of Far, go watch it because it's amazing. I loved it. Um, and I'm just going to read her bio for you so that you can know her a bit better. So, uh, Sherry DeSosa, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I apologize. English is very obviously not my first language. Um, is an ex-Jehovah's Witness who is now dedicated to sharing her waking up adventure and the truth about the dark side of the Jehovah's Witnesses, including child abuse, corrupt leadership, and indoctrination practices. She is the survey editor for jwsurvey.org and is also a support group leader for Recovering from Religion, starting the first RFR support group in Sydney, Australia. Uh, thank you. Uh, uh, yeah, because that's amazing. We are always so happy to have new support group leaders. So, yes. Um, she currently lives with her husband in Southwest Sydney, Australia, again, uh, where she enjoys meditating, reading, and science fiction. So, hello, uh, Sherry. Thank you so much for being here. Hello. Thanks for having me here. I'm very excited to be here today. This is going to be great. Yes. Great seeing you, Sherry. Also. Also joining us this evening, we have the infamous, the amazing, we have Lloyd Evans joining us. Lloyd is the founder and senior editor of jwsurvey.org, a website that promotes freeness of thought among Jehovah's Witnesses. He's also the author of The Reluctant Apostate, a book that chronicles his experiences growing up as a Jehovah's Witness and his journey to freedom from watchtower indoctrination. That was one of the survey questions. Have you heard of the Watchtower? His John Cedars YouTube channel hosts a range of videos aimed at dissecting the various teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses, as well as the new developments in the religion. Lloyd, welcome. It's so good to see you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here, Eric, although I am taking notes. And when Sherry was introduced, she was introduced as amazing. And when I was, when I was introduced, I was introduced as infamous. So, not, not well, the best start, but hopefully it will improve from there. I would imagine that from the Jehovah's Witnesses perspective, like the, the Watchtower perspective, you are infamous. Oh, from their perspective, oh. yes, I want to be infamous. I wouldn't have it any other way, yeah. No, it was meant as a compliment, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome, guys. This is, uh, you guys are um, the uh, brave pioneers, the trailblazers for this uh religion only kind of discussion. And obviously we're going to be talking about the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, well, both of you have some, uh, an amazing um, uh, uh, um, story about kind of how you came out of it. Um, you guys wanna um, share that with us? Uh, uh, Lloyd, since uh, you were introduced second, would you like to share your story first? Sure. Uh, I, I really hate repeating myself because I, I tell this so many times, but hopefully I'll do it justice. Um, yeah, I was raised in the religion by uh, very devout parents who assumed they were doing their best by raising me in the religion that they believed in themselves. And uh, I took it very seriously right up until I was about 19 or 20 when I started to have doubts 
surrounding the the organization's teachings, particularly on prophecy. Uh, but then when I was 21, my mother died, and this had the effect of plunging me deeper into my indoctrination because I thought, well, if I want to see my mother again in the future resurrection, I need to bury all of these doubts and pretend they don't exist. Like they say in, like they say in the Book of Mormon musical, turn it off. Mm. Um, so suppress those doubts and just muddle through. And so I made a few, um, you, you might say, advancements in the organization. I went through a special Bible school called MCS. Um, I became a ministerial servant. I became an elder. Uh, but then when I was about 30, having got married, I moved to Croatia. And that had the effect of kind of resetting my beliefs because I was suddenly in a situation where I couldn't understand the language. So I was going to these meetings and I couldn't make any sense of what was being said and due to the language barrier it caused me to start revisiting some of these doubts from earlier earlier in my life so yeah that's when everything started to unravel and my activism kind of followed on the heels of that so that's roughly my story in a nutshell yeah you really have uh, you really went all out with your activism now um john cedars is not your name and i know you've explained this several times but there's quite a few um, people here in the chat that don't really know what the um uh, uh provenance of the name john cedars for your youtube channel is yeah so as many will know, um, Jehovah's Witnesses shun apostates. They shun anyone who speaks out against the organization. If you want to leave the organization, you either have to be completely silent um, and you stay inactive, meaning that you're still technically a Jehovah's Witness, you're just not going to the meetings anymore, or you disassociate, at which point you can speak out, but no one's allowed to talk to you. So I, for a while, tried to do it the first way, which is to just be inactive and stay below the radar. And that meant using a pseudonym. And the pseudonym I chose was John Cedars. Um, and obviously, when I outed myself, I disassociated. I then started going by my real name. But I kept the name John Cedars as the name of my YouTube channel, um, just as like a, a tribute to my journey. So... And um, uh, you, on your YouTube channel, you um, have all sorts of different conversations. Uh, and we, like we talked about in the introduction, you also uh, keep up on the current activities of the, um, uh, the Watchtower and the Jehovah's Witness religion too, isn't that right? I do try to, although, you know, there's so much going on, um, especially when we're talking about child abuse cases and that sort of thing. It's almost too much to keep up with, but I do try and at least stay on top of some of the more obvious examples of um, video propaganda, because mm. since 2014, it's actually worked out quite well because I launched my channel in 2012 and started doing vlogs towards the end of 2013. And it was in 2014 when Jehovah's Witnesses started in earnest producing regular monthly video propaganda um, pieces. So it just so worked out that by that point I'd been doing YouTube long enough to kind of more or less put together rebuttals to these uh, propaganda sessions. And that's basically become my, <laughs> the regular kind of go-to that I, I, I do rebuttals to the various nonsense that gets pushed out by the organization. 
Yeah, I love I love your channel. And thank you so much for the hard work that you put into that. Um, thank you. Sherry, uh, uh, Lloyd had touched a little bit about on um, child abuse. And I know that for you was kind of one of the big things that uh, got you out of um, uh, the, the, the religious mindset. You want to share your story with us? Yeah, sure. Uh, that was a catalyst for me. So my background, I was raised as a witness as well. Um, similar thoughts to what Lloyd expressed in that uh, my parents believed that they were doing the right thing in raising my sister and I in the religion. And I was quite a, a serious minded child. So I took it all very seriously. And at the age of nine decided to, that I wanted to become a regular pioneer, um, which is one of the full-time volunteer roles, I suppose, you could say within the organization that involved at that point in time, um, going from door to door and teaching people about the Bible uh, for 90 hours a month. So I made that decision. I was going to do that from when I was nine. I left school uh, when I was 16, started regular pioneering then, and I did that for 10 years. So just to sort of describe, I suppose, the type of witness I was. I was very dedicated and I I did have questions, but I don't know if I could say there were doubts at that stage. Um, what had impressed on me very powerfully at that point in time, um, this is early 90s when I started pioneering, 91, the Catholic Church was just being exposed at the time for child abuse. And I had never conceived this whole, I was so shocked at anybody doing something like that to children. Um, I was horrified by it. Mm. And going door to door at that point in time, you, I was meeting Catholics who were completely disgusted as well and were leaving their religions because of it. And I would walk away from those doors and think, oh, terrible, Satan's terrible for making people lose their faith in God because of this terrible thing. Thank goodness I'm in the true religion and that would never happen with Jehovah's Witnesses. Fast forward to the Australian Royal Commission uh, into institutional child sexual abuse that was um, announced in, well, I think it was 2012 or 2013 now, 2013. Uh, and the hearings that included the Jehovah's Witnesses was case study 29 and case study 54. They occurred in uh, July, August 2015, and then in March 2017. And I didn't have courage to listen to that, listen to the Royal Commission findings and read the report until late 2016. But when I read that report, and I realised how big a problem was within the Jehovah's Witnesses, and that they were covering up child abuse on an epic scale. The commission had found that the headquarters in Sydney were keeping records from 1950 to 2014 of 1,006 alleged abusers. Wow. That's mental. 1,006. And keep in mind, this is in Australia with a membership of 68,000. Jehovah's Witnesses. You've got 25 million population, 68,000 are Jehovah's Witnesses. So it's not a huge right. religion at all. And yet 1,006 they had records of. 
And let's just take a stab at how many the organization had reported to the police. Big old fat zero. Not one, wow. not one. And there were 1,844 victims that they knew about. So learning that, um, that just made the whole house of cards tumble down for me. Um, I then discovered Lloyd's channel and through that started to then question, I hadn't thought about blood transfusions. I hadn't thought about shunning. I hadn't thought about all of these other things. Um, Lloyd's channel helped me to critically think and yeah, it, it just then I deconverted completely from there. And you also had a little bit of uh, involvement in activism too um, on your own continent. Um, uh, from what I understand, you had one of the first uh, sort of conventions or gatherings of uh, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses. And um, is that right? Yes. Yeah, so uh, this was this was last year, twenty uh, second of June, twenty nineteen. My husband and I. So I haven't touched on Sasha's story at all, but. Sasha was quite instrumental in supporting me and helping me as I came out of the religion. He had realised that the religion wasn't true years before, uh, but didn't tell me because he didn't know how I would react, didn't know if it would actually threaten our marriage because in so many cases it has done that and it has um, torn apart those relationships. Um, so... Fast forward to me now finally being awake and we were fantasizing about this idea of what if we could bring Lloyd Evans and his family to Australia? <laughs> and, and if we could do that, then we could, we could hire this venue and we could invite other people to come and we'd have a really great time. And from, from these very humble ideas, it grew into this extravaganza where we had about 130 uh, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses descend on Sydney Harbour. Lloyd was there with his family, but we also had the Truth About the Truth team. So a documentary that Lloyd is part of, um, filming for this documentary, The Truth About the Truth, which for all of the ex-Witnesses here understand what that means. Um, they all came out to do some interviews uh, so we had a, a film crew. We just had so many wonderful people there and we even managed to get, uh, which I still can't believe, a federal justice to come mm. along. Um, Angus Stewart was the senior counsel during Case Study 29 and Case Study 54. And he just, he grilled in such a very polite, dignified, but professional way elders, circuit overseers, branch committee members, and then the ultimate, he actually had a governing body member on the stand and he quizzed him for an hour and a half. So to have him come along that day was just tremendous. That's amazing. And I think that the fact that so many people showed up is just a proof of how needed it is to have that community and that kind of uh, knowing that you're not the only one there, because I know that a lot of ex-religious people do feel really, really lonely when they leave, because all their community is involved in that religion. And I guess Jehovah's Witness is probably no exception. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's essential. It's really essential to the healing process to be able to relate to people who understand that they, they get it. You don't have to explain it. 
yeah yeah that makes sense yeah because i mean I've, I've been a long life atheist so i don't really i mean i, I can understand but not really um so i appreciate that obviously you do need peer support yeah. group in that in that sense um so let's talk about like the very very beginning what is the history of jehovah's witness how did this um, religion came out to be uh, where did it came from because it's it's so specific there is not very like not very people are followers of uh, Jehovah's Witnesses but it's very popular in the sense that I've heard of it even if it's not it doesn't have that many followers so I wonder what is the the origin how it came up to be I'm gonna defer to Lloyd <laughs> <laughs> it's a a bit complicated actually before i proceed um we were talking about numbers before this meeting and um i'm very very competitive um <laughs> so is is this a record by any chance or are we close to it being a record you guys have blown the doors off of our record yes yeah excellent the... so if, if i could have the certificates in the mail i would appreciate that <laughs> I'm, like no worries. I'm really hoping we get to 144 participants though I'd, that'd be great if we could get there that'd be cool that's ambitious so on the, on the question of history um a shameless plug this is my book um the reluctant apostate and when i was writing it i thought oh i'll include a few chapters on the history not realizing how much research it would involve and that's why the book is so thick because the middle chapters in particular are my deep dive into the history. And there's a lot to it, but I'll do my best to kind of shrink 140 years down to two or three minutes. Um, so it, was, it all started out with Charles Taze Russell, who was a bit of a crackpot. He was uh, an entrepreneur um, and he was very easily led along by whatever... Uh, theories, whatever end times prophetic theories were floating around towards the end of the uh, 19th century. He was particularly taken by some ideas that were being floated by people who were very heavily influenced by Adventism and by the teachings of William Miller. William Miller uh, famously predicted the end of the world in, I think, 1842 or 1843 it became known as the Great Disappointment because, spoiler alert, the end of the world didn't come. Um, and it was off the back of all that nonsense that basically Jehovah's Witnesses were born because people who'd followed Miller carried on with that line of thought of, oh, Jesus' second coming is imminent and we just need to figure out the exact day based on this fairly innocuous verse in the book of Daniel. So the new date that came to be um the one that they would they were shooting for well first of all it was 1878 and uh sorry um it was it was around uh, 1878 and then it became 1914 and uh charles Taze russell was convinced that armageddon would come by 1914 uh but of course it didn't and he actually died sorry go on what area of the world are we talking about? Is this in the United States? So this is the Eastern Seaboard. So okay. specifically Pennsylvania to begin with, that's where it all started. And then around 1909, it all moved to Brooklyn, New York, which of course is where you still have. In fact, they've only recently sold their properties there in, in New York, but it all started sort of in Pennsylvania and along the Eastern Seaboard. And it sort of 
grew very at a very slow pace through the Charles Taze Russell era, and they did get a branch set up in London and in one or two other places around the world. But it was a very very inconsequential group that almost no one was talking about. And then uh, Russell died. Um, actually, it was Halloween, October thirty first, nineteen sixteen. Um, there was a bit of a, a leadership struggle um, resulting in uh, Joseph Rutherford taking over. I don't know whether anyone knows anything about Scientology. Um, in Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard is the, the crackpot and he gets taken over. He dies and then the, the leadership passes to David Miscavige, who's basically a thug. Um, and it was something similar with Jehovah's Witnesses, um, Joseph Rutherford, who was a lawyer, took over. He had been Charles Taze Russell's lawyer, defending Charles Taze Russell against all sorts of scandals, including marital scandals. And so he took over the presidency um, and was a very unpleasant character. Um, I can list lots of problems, including racism, anti-Semitism, alcoholism, uh, womanism. Uh, he was married, but he was estranged from his wife, and there were rumors of him having all sorts of affairs. So he was a very unpleasant character and a very sexist, misogynist character as well. Um, but of course, all of this gets glossed over when Jehovah's Witnesses are reading their whitewashed history of what was happening in that era. Um, but then, of course, he eventually died in 1941, and the reins of power passed to a man named Nathan Knorr. Up to this point, it was still a fairly inconsequential organization. Um, it had been renamed in 1935 as Jehovah's Witnesses. What was then it uh, before that? It was Bible students. And in fact, it's a little bit confusing because there are still Bible students who consider themselves followers of Charles Taze Russell. So you there was basically a split. Sorry? You know what's interesting? Um, you talked about like its origins were in Pennsylvania and there were a ton of little tiny religions that kind of popped up from that whole area. Like Mormonism is an excellent example of that. Yeah. And it just seemed yeah. like that whole time frame from like the 1820s to the 1880s or something, it was just a, a huge um, uh, area to, or a huge um, time period for folks to kind of come up with religions and, and uh, try and, and give them a chance. But, so it was a melting pot of all sorts yeah. of bizarre theories. And I actually start my history in my book by noting that 1842, the year of the Great Disappointment, was also the year that uh, Joseph Smith got shot in a jail in Carthage. So, yeah, there was lots of intersections going on there. Um, but, yeah, so uh, a guy called Nathan North took over in 1942, and that's when it, it all started to take off because Nathan North... Uh, was also a, a fairly unpleasant man, but he was a brilliant administrator. Um, he understood the potential of spreading the organization internationally and assigning missionaries and setting up schools and doing things properly. And it was under Nathan Knorr that the membership skyrocketed into the millions. And, um, his, and then there was a, another shift in power because towards the end of his life, there was a bit of a leadership struggle whereby the organization passed from being a presidentially led organization to a, an organization that's led by a quorum of leaders known as the governing body. Um, and that's where, where things stand today. So that's in a nutshell, the history of Jehovah's Witnesses. It sounds like um, it's very 
or it almost sounds like a company um uh like um it's, it, yeah, it kind of sounds like it was, it was, there's a lot of marketing and, and uh, very much like a company and less like a, a board of elders or something like that. It's, o- it's only when you really delve into the history and there were things that I didn't know when I started writing my book that I came to learn during the research process. Um, because as a Jehovah's Witness, you're not encouraged to do objective research into the history of the organization. Wow. You're just given this, again, very sanitized version of what happened that omits all of the embarrassing stuff and focuses purely on all the positives. When I was growing up, there was a book. I'm wondering if I can just grab it. The claim is. Yeah. When I was growing up, we had this book, which you can see is quite a big book called uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Proclaimers of God's Kingdom. And that went into the history in in reasonable detail. But even this left out a lot of the history of the organization. This has since been replaced by this. (laughs) So this this is the new history book that Jehovah's Witnesses read if they want to find out about the past. And you can see immediately that... It's it's going to cut out all sorts of stuff, and unsurprisingly, the most embarrassing stuff that's sort of a little bit alluded to in this is missed out completely in here. So, yeah, you it all comes as a shock when you actually start doing the research, and and this is one of the big problems that I face doing the work that I do um, is just convincing people that it's worth doing the research because mm-hmm. you, you grow up in such an anti-intellectual atmosphere as a Jehovah's Witness where Every you've just got to swallow what they say, and if you have any doubts, you've just got to bury them and not think about them. Um, so that when you do finally give yourself permission to look at what was being published uh, decades ago, when the organisation was supposedly chosen by God in 1919, uh, that's when it all starts to unravel. And, and that's why I say to people who are Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, actually, the the most pressing resource that you need to check is your own publications. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not so much about what I say or about what it says on various apostate websites. You need to look at your own publications that the organisation is making is going to a lot of effort to make sure you don't get to look at or examine in detail. So the first book is called The Proclaimers, and what's the second book called? Uh, God's Kingdom Rules is okay, the is the paperback. Yeah. One of the things that you said that I found interesting, because I also see it in other religions, is this obsession with the apocalypse and the end of the world. Um, so currently, do Jehovah's Witnesses believe in the apocalypse? And is that 2020 or is it like another year? Oh, it's just it, around the corner. It's just around the corner. So there were lots of failed predictions through, through the ages. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they predicted it for 1914. Um, Here, by the way, is an image from the latest book showing Kenny Rogers. Actually, it's not Kenny Rogers. It's supposed to be Jesus, but it looked like Kenny Rogers. Um, And and the caption reads... um, Let me guess. You you, you need to know when to hold them, and you need to know when to... (laughs) (laughs) The caption reads, In 1914, the Bible students began to discern the sign of Christ's invisible presence. So that's Christ being not so invisible. (laughs) Um, in 1914 Uh, but no uh, they originally predicted 1914 for Armageddon that didn't happen then they predicted 1925 
that didn't happen. Um, then they predicted 1975, that didn't happen. And then when I was a child, and probably Sherry, Sherry will remember this too, we were told, oh, it's going to come before the generation that witnessed and understood the events of 1914 dies off. Yeah. And they're getting on in years. So yeah. that's what we were told. And they ditched that teaching around 1995, I think. So now it's just, oh, it's going to come any moment. You know, we just don't know when, you know. Yeah. But so that propaganda, the, the, the videos that they turn out now, uh, which Lloyd covers on the John Cedars channel, like, you've got illustrations and books and watchtowers, magazines, all sorts of things that will talk about the apocalypse. But for them to now have this tool of video and for them to now show what they think it's going to be, to depict it, is just a whole other level like, I don't recognise the religion anymore from the religion of my childhood. It's not the same beast anymore. It's just, it's become such a well-oiled, slick propaganda machine. Now, who is them? You were saying uh, you don't recognise, uh, who is them? So... Is this speaking, the Watchtower? Is this yes, okay. yes. I, when Jehovah's Witnesses are the, I suppose, the colloquial name the the name that everybody will know but from a corporate point of view it's known as watchtower watchtower bible and tract society is the full name so for short we just call it the watchtower um because i always thought that the watchtower was the actual magazine that they it is have, but yes. it's also the name of the organization too correct okay. correct but they've parent quite company there. the parent company is called the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society of Pennsylvania, and it has various other legal entities. Um, but And Jehovah's Witnesses probably wouldn't acknowledge the name Watchtower anymore when talking about the organization. They would refer to it probably as Jehovah's Organization or something mm -hmm. like that. But I always used to think of it as Watchtower when I was growing up. So that's kind of the shorthand that both myself and Sherry use because we're from that generation where we acknowledge that name as being the name of the organization. Thanks for clarifying because I, I didn't know about the Watchtower until like I saw the face of RFR interview with Sherry but I had no idea what it was um, so definitely useful for, for this talk. Um, and what are, yeah and what are other beliefs that Jehovah's Witnesses have apart from um, obviously the imminent apocalypse. Um, is there any others that stand out amongst other religions that may be similar to Jehovah's Witnesses? Well, there's a litany of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're very, they, they're Bible literalists. So they will, they take the Bible as their guidebook for everything. Um, they believe that a 2000 year old book guides family life, personal life, um, congregation life, absolutely everything. Um, they, 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 they take over your autonomy. We've kind of had uh, some conversations in past RFRXs about that, but it sounds like they, they uh, demand your entire life from you. Yes, yes. And they'll use the Bible to enforce that. So they'll, they'll turn to, oh goodness, this is really testing my memory, but Exodus where... Um, God claims that he's a jealous God. He will not tolerate anyone worshipping anybody else. He demands exclusive devotion. And so the organisation has exactly that same culture. 
that there is zero tolerance for any deviation from what they say is true. They're allowed to change what they say is true at any given point in time. And you're not to question that. You are to just accept what it is that you are given. Um, no questioning, toe the line. It's, it, it is, I'm really only now starting to understand the levels of control uh, that the organisation uses. So Lloyd's comment earlier about getting witnesses to research, it is a real struggle to get them to research because they're so scared. They're terrified of the repercussions of doing that, that as soon as you start to ask questions, the elders in the congregation will be on you like a ton of bricks. Mm -hmm. they, they will be very sensitive to someone in their midst that they think is a wolf in sheep's clothing because you're daring to ask questions and you might influence the rest of the flock. They can't have that. So it, it's, it's a very frightening time to go through when you are having doubts internally and you're wanting to ask questions. You can't talk to anybody about having those questions for the fear of the implications involved that you'll start to be shunned. So you mentioned that uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are, they take the Bible literally. What yes. is their stance yes. on slavery? Because the Bible has some lovely passages on justifying slavery and how to treat your slaves and blah, blah, blah. So I wonder... Lloyd might be able to answer that one better than I can because my memory of the way it was spoken about was quite... It, no, I'm actually going to leave that one to Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have much to say about it, actually. Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, you think that they would, but they don't really do the Bible apologetics, to be honest. They just take the position that if it's in the Bible, there must be a reason for it. And it, we may not know all the reasons, but God does. And who are we to question God? So you don't actually get that much um, kind of critical. Well, it all goes into the, into the realm of critical thinking, doesn't it? Apologetics. Why do you need to apologize for stuff when you've not been encouraged to do critical thinking to begin with you, you don't question things on that level so they don't really have much to say on for example leviticus 2013 where mm. it encourages gay people to be stoned or anything um mm. their position is it's in the bible so it must be good you know and i think probably just reflecting on that if going back to my pioneer days if i was asked that at the door I think my gut response would be, well, if, if the Israelites were following God's laws at the time, slavery would have worked well because mm -hmm. it was based <laughs> on, on, it's completely, even as I say this, I'm having big problems with it. Um, but slavery became uh, evil when they weren't following Jehovah. So I suppose that's the most apologetics I can I can get out of it. But Lloyd's right. They don't say too much about that. The same thing can be said about all of the brutality in the Bible, um, all of the wars and the bloodshed. And they don't, they really don't think about that. This is an example of the sort of thing they'll say. I've just looked, looked up an article, Did God Condone the Slave Trade from 2001? The Bible gives no indication that the enslavement of humans by other humans was part of God's original purpose for mankind. Furthermore, no Bible prophecies allude to humans owning fellow humans through slavery in God's new world. 
rather in that coming paradise, righteous ones will actually sit each one under his vine and under his fig tree. Um, so in other words, everything's going to be, the, 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 the standard that God is working towards is not necessarily how it was in the Bible, but how it will be in the future paradise once evil has been done away with by 99% of humankind being wiped out in the universe's biggest act of genocide um, so that the earth can be repopulated only by Jehovah's Witnesses. That's when everything's going to be fine. God really sounds like a really fun uh, person. The personal person is not a world being. Like a really fun, you have a very strange choice in... Uh... <laughs> in character but yeah he's a he's a psychopath well at least you know obviously i i appreciate that uh, everyone has their own version of god or at least believers tend to have their own version of god and it isn't necessarily the you know the the bible literalist god in all cases but yeah as sherry said jehovah's witnesses are a literalist religion a fundamentalist religion in many ways although they reject the, the word fundamentalist Mm-hmm. And they do believe that God will kill um, seven and a half, eight, seven and a half to eight billion men, women, and children to make way for the utopia He has planned purely for Jehovah's Witnesses. So there's so much that you guys talked about that I need to kind of. This is amazing and really thick stuff. Um, we're we're talking about the now the end times, like this this being is going to wipe out near 99.99% of all humans on this planet. And correct me if I'm wrong, but is that where the 144,000 number comes in? Like there will only be 144,000 people? No. No? This is where it gets a little bit more complicated because Jehovah's Witnesses have what might be considered a two-tier Christianity. So... Uh, the 144,000 refers to those who go to heaven. Those are the anointed. And surprise, surprise, the anointed, the governing body happens to be of the anointed. So the governing body have have self-certified themselves (laughs) to be worthy of ruling in heaven alongside Jesus, along with 130... 8,000 others, <laughs> 144,000 minus eight, whatever that is, never been good at maths, but everyone else will be living on the earth. So to begin with, that will be whichever Jehovah's Witnesses have made it because Jehovah's Witnesses were even told in January 2018 by governing body member Anthony Morris that they would die if they didn't preach every week. So not even all of the nearly, well, not, not even all of the eight and a half million Jehovah's Witnesses will necessarily make it, but let's assume they do. Earth gets populated by only eight and a half million. They have to start over. But gradually, over the course of a thousand years, Christ's thousand year rule, everyone who has ever lived up until Armageddon began will gradually be resurrected we're talking a hundred billion people estimated to have ever walked the earth up until this point. The walking dead. Uh, Yeah. Well, they're not going to be zombies. We've actually learned only today that, that historical characters will be resurrected in period costume. This is literally the latest propaganda that's been published on their convention. Literally today that I've been tweeting about, they show a video of someone who's been resurrected from the 19th century 
who looks a lot like little Bo Peep, um, wearing period costume. So apparently they're going to be resurrected in their in in the clothing of the time, so that you'll know what time they were living in, and you'll be able to um, preach to them according to the time they were living in. So if they're if they're dressed as Fred Fred Flintstone, for example, you'll be able to tailor your your recruitment message to, to their needs, you know, like Uga Uga, whatever you might say. So, yeah, it's cra- it's crazy, but that's that's what they believe, you know. So this this is the this is the apocalypse. This is after the world ends and it and it's slowly being rebuilt over the thousand years or so. You mentioned uh, an afterlife. A lot of uh, these um, religions have like some sort of afterlife message. Um, is this the afterlife sort of um, referring to the resurrection after the world is rebuilt. Um, is there a, uh, is any more than 144,000 go to another level of, of heaven or something like that? So in the case, so for example, I, I alluded to my mother earlier. One, one of the things that kept me in the religion was wanting to see my mother again. So my thinking was as a witness, my mother is going to be resurrected into that paradise earth. And they even say, those it's going to kind of go backwards through history so the more recent the the closer you die to armageddon the closer you'll be resurrected after armageddon and then it will go back through history from there so i was under the assumption that what would happen was was armageddon was going to come i would hopefully survive armageddon and then i'd be around to welcome my mum back when she got when she kind of popped into existence having been resurrected by by god so that's kind of their version of an afterlife wow. Got it. And, and so there isn't uh isn't different levels of uh a heaven or anything like that there's only one heaven and it's for those select 144,000 people is that correct including the governing body yeah yeah okay got it um, uh, yeah sorry eric i think no, I uh, so I've heard that you, uh, not you obviously, Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in blood transfusions, they don't believe in birthdays. Is there any other fun, potentially life-saving things that they don't believe in or they don't agree with? Um, so yes, blood transfusions is, they won't accept blood transfusions, but that one has changed over the years as well. So it oh. used to be just a flat out, no blood, no blood products at all. But as medical technology has improved, as science has improved, uh, they, I think it was about 2000, 2001, that they changed that you could have fractions. There were some fractions that came from blood that you could take, but it was up to your conscience. So if your conscience allowed you to have it, that would be fine. There would be no action taken against you by the elders in the congregation uh, but if your conscience didn't allow you to do that, then that was also fine too. So with each of these things, there's been movement and changes. Um, birthdays, Christmas, Easter, any celebrations. Let's, go, um, let's all, go back to the blood transfusions. Do they yeah. also, um, uh, what about organ transplants? From what I understand, that that's not allowed either because of the blood in it? Um so it used to be that, yeah, you could not have an organ transplant at all. In fact, there are articles that suggest it was cannibalism to even consider it. Um, 
Wow. That has, yeah, that that has since changed. I, Lloyd, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the current stance on organ transplant is if it can be done without blood transfusion, fine. But if it involves blood transfusion, you've got a problem. Got it. That's it, yeah. So uh, you were talking about birthdays. Yeah. Don't celebrate birthdays. And no. Uh, uh, you just uh, you you are only two years old then in that case. Is that correct? <laughs> this is true. In fact, hang on, let me just do the math. Um, I will be four in December. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so a whole um, life of never celebrating birthdays, never celebrating anything really. So um, Christmas, Valentine's Day, anything is it's all considered pagan. And if it is pagan, if it is not instructed in the Bible for you to do, if God has not thought it necessary to instruct in the Bible that you have that celebration, then the default position is no, don't go there. It's, okay. it's well. obviously a worldly thing. It's something that Satan's system promotes. So we wouldn't want to have any part of that. That's the kind of rationale that they will use. But I mean, it, there's still hypocrisy there because, of course, you can't have this zero stance to paganism uh, when there are so many practices or customs that we have in society that have pagan roots. I mean, wedding rings are an example of that. Um, so, well, even they, a lot of holidays like uh, Christmas and uh, that's a no go. Wow, uh, Halloween has got, they've got to celebrate Halloween, right? Absolutely. No. <laughs> no! Especially not Halloween. That's the best holiday yeah. ever, though. Wow. Yeah, no, we've recently gotten into this one too, Eric. Um, in fact, last year, Sasha and I took it as um, a badge of pride that uh, we were voted the scariest house on the street. And that was before <laughs> they'd even put their decorations up, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> we had a little uh, show for them when they knocked on the door, basically. Sasha was all dressed up. <laughs> <laughs> we had creepy music. The whole thing was going on. It was just fantastic. <laughs> but about, yeah, none of that. So what, when people who are um, beginning to doubt or, come, or, or have fully come out of the Jehovah's Witness religion, what is it? what kind of effect does it have on them when they... Um, can suddenly celebrate birthdays. They can um, enjoy holidays, or maybe they don't enjoy holidays. What, what, what have you heard, or some of the uh, struggles people or effects that people have coming out with those? Well, see, before you even get to that, you've got to work through the whole deconverting process. So quite often, um, a witness coming out of their indoctrination is not even thinking about celebrating anything. They're just trying to deal with the aftermath of leaving. They're, most often they're trying to navigate family relationships. They're trying to navigate their whole social network disintegrating. They're negotiating being shunned. Um, <laughs> there's so much, and, and their own emotions of, you've been lied to, you've been manipulated. You've, you feel like you've wasted your life. You are dealing with all of those emotions. You often have to go and seek therapy to try and sort through 
all of this. And only after you've done that initial groundwork can you then go, hey, I can actually do stuff. I can, I can celebrate things. I don't have to now not do that. Um, in my case, it became a bit of a, okay, how many pagan holidays can I get done? Um, I want to do them all. <laughs> so when I went to the States in 2018, I, I got a Thanksgiving in. I, I want to experience them all. And then in, in Colorado, Shanna Rubio, who's on the chat here today. Hey, Shanna. Um, she took me to my first Krampus, which was just the best. <laughs> it's so much fun. So that's my attitude, though. I, I, I want to knock them all over and celebrate as many as I can, just because I can now. Someone in the comments is asking whether the Super Bowl is considered pagan in, in Jehovah's Witnesses. Or can, you, can you celebrate that or not really? Um, I wouldn't say it's pagan, but they probably would consider it as competitive sports. Basically, probably all Jehovah's Witnesses in America, especially the, the guys, will be watching it. But probably they'll be feeling a little bit guilty if they get a bit too excited at any point. So they've got to watch it kind of sedately and, and not get too worked up about who wins and who loses, probably. Okay, so they have an issue with competitiveness. Is yes. Yeah, they have a, a massive problem with competitiveness. In fact, um, especially in some of the recent videos, they've really got a problem with soccer, which happens to be my favourite sport. In video after video after video, they're giving kind of testimonials of people who've gotten too, gone too deep into soccer, and uh, it's ruined their lives. And then they became Jehovah's Witnesses, and balance was restored. Uh, they, I, my theory is it's a little bit like um, the fixation that fundamentalist religions have with weed. I think that anything that offers any kind of competition when it comes to finding bliss or finding balance in your life or any kind of enjoyment, I think fundamentalist religions will automatically uh, react against. And I think that's true of competitive sports and, and particularly for some reason, soccer, they really don't like it. So they keep making videos about how awful it is. In fact, um, I can give you an a anecdotal experience. Sasha and I, do like some sport and in Australia we have a lot of different codes of sport we particularly like AFL and we went to see a game on a Sunday which meant we didn't go to the meeting we actually went to the game this this was during the phase where Sasha was already awake I was very slow about realizing I was in a cult but anyway we went to this game the next meeting Sasha gets pulled into the back room by the elders <laughs> and reprimanded for missing a meeting to go to a football game. Oh, wow. That's it. They're just, yeah, I think Lloyd hit the nail on the head. Anything that's enjoyable, pretty much. Um, we we want to corner the market on fun and on yeah. stuff that's going to occupy your time. So, yeah. no yeah. having fun. It sounds <laughs> like uh, they put the fun in dysfunctional. <laughs> Basically, yes. yeah. I'm just reminded actually by a comment in the chat of something else that we should mention that um, is looked down on and not encouraged and that's higher education it is strongly discouraged to not 
um, seek any education. University, college is out of the question. In fact, I, I actually did a course through university 2012 to 2014. It was an online course and it was for work. I, so that I could be qualified to do the work, the job that I had. I had to keep it quiet. I oh. could not let anybody know in the congregation that I was doing this course. And when word eventually got out that I was doing it, um, again, Sasha got pulled into the back room and told to put get his wife in line <laughs> because getting an education uh, is not advised. Why do you want to get educated in Satan's world, in Satan's system of things? It's all going to come to an end soon enough anyway. So why are you wasting time doing that when you should be spending more time in the organisation itself? Wow. Wow. Complete um, control. Yeah. And that for some reason reminded me of like, um, do they meter political activity like voting? Because I'm thinking like very basic things like education, it's probably easier if we talk about what they are allowed to do <laughs> because the list of things they're not allowed to do runs much, much longer than you probably suspect. So definitely not voting. Not voting. Anything, yeah, they consider that, um, well, think about it. They think that the whole world deserves to be destroyed imminently uh, and Satan's governments are going to be pitted against you know god's um christ's incoming kingdom so therefore why would you want to support any efforts by satan's system of things to to govern to to do things when when jesus's kingdom when christ's kingdom is the only one that can rule so no you, you're not allowed to vote as a jehovah's witness and that's what what lloyd's just described that mentality that thinking that culture can be expanded past voting that also includes any humanitarian efforts, um, donating to charities, uh, anything that even is seen as a good thing. You're supporting Satan's system and Satan's world. Why would you do that? Because the ultimate answer is going to be God's kingdom. So invest all of your energies, all of your support into that mm -hmm. uh, rather than wasting any time or money on anything this world is trying to do, even if it's positive. So even when I did my diploma um, and I work in healthcare and manage a cancer practice, that was still not looked at as a good thing. Even though you're helping people, it's still, no, you're, it's self-promotion. You're, you're trying to have a career and that's all looked down on. Yeah. I was just about to say like, so basically if you, in your free time, donate to charity that helps children who have cancer, that is a bad thing. It, it's it probably wouldn't get you disfellowshipped or anything like that, but there would be raised eyebrows, shall we say. It yeah. would be frowned My upon. Yeah. Told me off. yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Do um, the Jehovah's Witnesses have a specific holy day of the week or, or um, anything like that? So, no, not holy day of the week. Um, you are, you're switched on as a Jehovah's Witness 24-7. So they, they control every part of your life every day. So in the morning, you are encouraged to consider the day's text as a family best. You, you are to pray constantly. Uh, you are to, there are several meetings that they have during the week. You are to be prepared for each of those meetings. You are to participate in the door-to-door -door ministry. That is a non-negotiable for every 
baptize Jehovah's Witness. It's not like other religions where you do a two-year term of door knocking. Uh, this is for every baptized witness, you must be out door to door as much as you can. So it's not so much a holy day. This is this is one of the harder things I suppose to get the point across with about Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not it's not a religion per se of a belief system. It's a lifestyle. It encompasses every every part of you. Um, your entertainment, your clothing, your the music you listen to, the activities you'll do with a group of friends, everything is controlled by the organisation, by what they say you should be doing. And I guess things like being part of the LGBTQ plus community, for example, that is completely Satan's work, I would assume. Oh, am I? <laughs> Where do we even begin, am I? I like, yeah. Yeah. Where do we even begin with that? It's not LGBTQ friendly. No. Um, they even again alluding to the very latest convention. There's material there from uh, Stephen Let, one of the governing body members, uh, talking about how because um, I mentioned earlier that people will be resurrected from various points in history, mm-hmm. and uh, so Stephen Let says, imagine someone was resurrected from the past, and they'd been led to assume that homosexual their homosexual their homosexuality was okay that God loved them for who they are, well, they'd have to learn that that's not how it works. And uh, they have to change uh, their ways to conform to God's standards. So even in the very latest convention, there's, uh, and in each convention, quite frankly, you can find um, homophobic material worked in there that is trained to make gay people feel miserable um, and trained to make Jehovah's Witnesses look down on gay people as particularly worthy of destruction when Armageddon comes. And this yeah. would make sense, uh, this this um, doctrine would totally make sense in a, a community who lit- takes the Bible literally as, as the holy word of, of their God, because uh, there's so many um, awful passages in that Bible that explicitly state uh, exactly that. What it does, of course, is, is it creates an organization that's more interested in whether consenting adults are having sex with each other than tracking down and stopping child sex abuse. So they've got their priorities completely skewed. Mm -hmm. Even beyond um, sexuality, Mm -hmm. you can find passages in uh, in the elders only secret elders manual, which Sherry and I have done a rebuttal to, Mm-hmm. Uh, which say, if someone is damaging the kingdom hall, call the cops. If someone's her, in, if someone is interfering with a meeting or interfering with your witnessing, call the cops. If mm-hmm. someone is molesting a child, call the branch, and the branch will decide whether the cops yeah. get involved. So that's um, the yeah. way they do things. Yeah. 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 On that note, how come the authorities haven't done anything about the child sexual abuse? I mean, that's if a very good any- question. That's a very good question. Perhaps we can get the FBI on to the call and they can let us know why they are not busting down the door of the Jehovah's Witness headquarters and getting the database that Jehovah's Witnesses freely admit to keeping of tens of thousands of of records of people who do this. And it's it's all being kept secret from the authorities. We're frankly just living at the wrong point in history. 
uh, governments aren't taking it seriously enough. They're only beginning to do, I mean, Sherry mentioned the Australian Royal Commission. We've just had, um, or we're having at the moment in England and Wales, the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse, which I'm a core participant for. Apart from that, I think there's something happening in New Zealand and one or two other countries, but it, we're still very, very early in the day for governments to be giving this anywhere near the attention that it deserves. And unfortunately, particularly in America, there's practically nothing being done. If you can convince people that you're a religion, you can get away with more or less anything. In Australia, there are moves following the Australian Royal Commission, because uh, it's been a few years now. One of the things the commission established was uh, a redress scheme so that victims of institutional abuse could seek compensation. And in that process of seeking compensation, they would be getting an acknowledgement from the institutions that they had not protected them. They'd be getting an apology and they'd be getting something to assist uh, them in dealing with the trauma that they've gone through to get some professional <laughs> help. Um, the redress scheme that the government put together was voluntary, right? So the, the institutions that were reviewed during the commission, it was voluntary for them to join the redress scheme. Mm -hmm. Most, well, I, I would hazard to say a good 98% of them have joined. The deadline for joining was has just passed 30th of June, 2020. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are the only religious and national group that have refused to join the redress scheme, flat out refused it. Mm -hmm. And the reason they give is that they claim that they're not an institution by the terms of the definition given by the redress scheme. That because they don't have uh, organisational programs that are just for children, like a Sunday school or something like that, where children are separated from their parents, mm -hmm. because they don't have one of those arrangements, all of the meetings that Jehovah's Witnesses have, the families all sit together. So therefore, they don't fit the definition of an institution, right. according to the redress, so they haven't joined. But this particularly gets my blood boiling because what they have craftily just done is ignored so many of the situations that occur that are sanctioned by the organisation. Let's remember that most churches don't have door-to-door -door preaching. Yes. Because that's kind of something that's fairly exclusive to Jehovah's Witnesses. And it's in these door-to-door -door preaching activities that children are separated from their parents. Exactly. Oh, the exactly. children don't go along on the door-to-door. -door. No, they do. But but they're assigned to, like if you've got a single mum. Yes, if you've got a single mum with four children... She's not going to go to the door with her four kids. They will separate the children. Me? Oh, I'm Absolutely. not kidding you. That's, this is what Absolutely. happens. And, we, and we've had, and unsurprisingly, Eric, we've had case after case after case where it's been specifically the field service arrangements that have been exploited by predators to prey yes. on children. It's come up in lawsuit after lawsuit. Wow. Yep. Yeah, that's, exactly that. And on top of the the door-to-door -door work where children are separated, there is also, and it's in the Elder's Guidebook, um, where, take that scenario, the, the single mum with the kids, the several children, um, in order to assist her in raising her children within the religion, uh, a, another 
baptised witness might be assigned to study one-on-one with these children. And in the elders book, it actually says that the role of the service committee is to approve these arrangements. Hmm. So that to me, that's, that's sanctioning it there where you are allowing for children to be separated from their parents. You are allowing an institutional (laughs) thing to happen um, that is open to being, uh, I can't even find the word. It just gets me so rolled up. Exploited by pedophiles. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any internal reporting system that's, uh, that you know of in, inside of the Jehovah's Witness organization? Oh, there's a, an elaborate network of internal reporting, but that's the problem. It's internal. And the organization will decide for itself whether the authorities get involved. And even in cases where it's mandated within the state for the authorities to be involved, if there's a way of them wriggling out of that through the clergy penitent privilege rules, they'll do it and that happened recently in montana there was a massive uh, jury verdict against jehovah's witnesses for i think 35 million dollars and it got overturned on appeal because there was this legislation included for clergy penitents which uh watchtower successfully appealed using hmm. so um uh i understand there's this uh thing called the uh, to witness rule within the Jehovah's Witness religion. Can you guys talk about that a little bit? Mm. So recall I said that they're Bible literalists. Mm-hmm. So this is taking scriptures um, literally and saying that this is the way that they have to handle things. So Deuteronomy 1915. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I knew it was Deuteronomy. I just couldn't remember exactly the chapter. Just, in think, the verse. just think 1914 and go one extra 1915. Well, that's a good little Secret, trick. Yeah. Thank you for that. Right. <laughs> um, but basically that scripture, the premise of it is that you couldn't take an accusation to the older men of the village unless there were two witnesses. You had to, you couldn't bring an accusation unless you, it was verified by two witnesses. Um, So they hold to this in cases of child sexual abuse. And they will say that if there is not a second witness, uh, then they don't have any grounds to do any action judicially within the congregation. So you'll have to leave it in Jehovah's hands. Now they've, they've since expanded it slightly in that you don't, because, I mean, how often are you going to have a witness to a situation of child sexual abuse? You're not going to. But uh, they will allow that if there's been a second victim, then that second victim can be the second witness. Only problem is you have to have a second victim, which means you're not protecting that second child. It's just absolutely woeful. Um, in May, the May 2019 Watchtower article from last year, Anybody who wants to go down that rabbit hole, have a read of it because it's a, quite a demonstration of how they will manipulate language quite masterfully that witnesses, when they read those articles, were, oh, see, we, we are ahead of the curve. We, we are looking after children. They took it as pride that their organisation was taking this head on. <laughs> Not so... <laughs> When you have a look at that article, and Lloyd has done a video on this one as well, it's absolutely abhorrent language. And I was I was heartened to see that 
the independent inquiry uh, ICSA in the UK actually questioned um, the organisation, the representative for Watchtower, about that article. So I was glad to see they did that. Yeah, yeah. I actually had to take them through at least one example of of where the the wording has been very very clever, because they say they say something like, um, uh, "We will never tolerate those who unrepentantly uh, molest children," or words to that effect. And the key word is unrepentantly. Oh, yeah, because, I heard that. Because if you are repentant, let's say you get fi- found out and you get hauled before a judicial committee and you convince them that you're sorry, you're then not disfellowshipped, you're only reproved. You go back into the congregation, albeit with quote-unquote some restrictions, but you're to be basically forgiven and treated as a normal member of the congregation. So the key word there was unrepentantly. And if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you're not going to stop to think about that. You're just going to read it and think, we don't tolerate child abusers. But again, it's the masterful use of language that they use um, to kind of cloud over these issues. So they have records of uh, these abuses going back decades. Um, and uh, they have ways to cleverly um, cover it up. Um, and, uh, and so they're just, they seem to care more about their own asses than their congregants. Is that what Absolutely. I'm Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. The reputation of the organization is way more important than protecting oh. its most vulnerable than protecting its children. It's just so abhorrent. Um, well, let's uh, move on to some heavy. <laughs> on a lighter note. Uh, <laughs> yeah, on a lighter note, let's talk about shunning. <laughs> so this, this isn't um, this this whole concept of shunning. Shunning isn't necessarily uh, uh, only in Jehovah's Witnesses. Like many religions, you know, encourage their adherents to shun um, apostates or non-believers. Um, what is uh, unique about Jehovah's Witnesses and uh, their, their practice of shunning? In recent years, the fact that they have celebrated their shunning policy in high-definition propaganda videos showing parents not picking up the phone when their disfellowship teenage daughter is calling, and their disfellowship teenage daughter could be in any number of situations requiring urgent help, but the video in question at the 2016 Remain Loyal to Jehovah Convention was saying, was effectively telling parents, don't pick up the phone. This is how complete the shunning needs to be. And I should just point out that there are varying levels of shunning. This is one thing that I've tried to point out at the recent ICSA hearings. Um, so you can have formal shunning where someone is disfellowshipped or disassociated, um, which means that basically everyone must treat them as though they don't exist, including their family members. There are one or two loopholes. So for example, a husband isn't, isn't expected to shun his, his wife and vice versa. Um, but these are, these are very narrow loopholes. And if, for example, I mentioned the case of a, a delinquent teenager, if they're able to provide for themselves and exist outside the family home, they're not to be spoken to. And in case after case, we've seen this actually result in suicide because, you know, humans are social creatures. We're just not built to be 
ostracized like that by by our parents so these are rules that are very heavily enforced very heavily mandated and you also have sort of informal shunning uh, which is otherwise known as bad association so if you're in the habit perhaps of going to football going to watch a football game at the weekend rather than going to the kingdom hall <laughs> shock horror um or basically doing anything that the organization frowns on that isn't necessarily a sin, but it's just something that would be looked down on, then you'll be classed as bad association and people basically won't hang out with you as much. So that's kind of another level of ostracism. And that's why even when people fade or try fading from the organization, they say, right, I want to keep all of my bonds intact. So I'm not going to formally disassociate. I'm just going to kind of try and drift off the radar in many cases, they find themselves being shunned anyway because they're not going to all the meetings and they're not doing everything that's that's required of them. So uh, it's a very toxic setup in terms of the way family bonds and family ties are essentially weaponized against people as a means of control. For uh, underage-like people, does it happen that they're left homeless if their family doesn't accept them or is that like not allowed if they're underage then they'll be allowed to stay in the house but the minute they are of age in other words 18 or 19 they'll you know there's case in fact there's even illustrations in the literature showing someone of that age with their suitcases going out the front door and the parents in tears and the message is this is what you've got to be prepared to go through for jehovah it's kind of a test of loyalty to put the organization ahead of your children. In my own case, um, I'm being shunned by my father, who is a Jehovah's Witness elder, because I'm an apostate. But I'd be shunned anyway, even if I wasn't an apostate, just for leaving the organization. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shun you. It would kill me, Lloyd. But if you ever leave, I'm going to shun you. And he is. So he hasn't actually met his two grandchildren, my two daughters yet. And one is six years old, the other is one year old. He hasn't met them. They don't know who he is, um, because we're we've. My wife and I have said, well, we, we come as a package, you know. So he said, fair enough. I won't meet any of you. <laughs> so that's how it works. That's how thorough it is. So it sounds like there are no casual Jehovah's Witnesses. No. If you're a casual Jehovah's Witness, you're bad association, and you'll get mm -hmm. shunned. Mm -hmm. But you must start casually, right? Or do does everyone? Because I I would assume that not everybody's born into Jehovah's Witness. And if someone was to tell me that the second I join the religion, I'd be like, absolutely not. I'll go find something else. Um, is there any like techniques that they use at the beginning to be softer about it, or are they like blunt telling you you're gonna have to kick your kids out as soon as they're eighteen if you don't believe? I think Lloyd's just done a video on this subject oh. of how how it what the process is of indoctrinating someone from the outside in mm -hmm. and how crafty it is. Um, yeah. Lloyd could probably summarize that much better than, than me, but no, of course not. I mean, you can't, when someone opens the door to you on your knock and, and they want to ask, so what do I have to do to be part of it? You can't tell them right then and there. You don't even mention <laughs> Armageddon, really. You, you focus on you hit them with the, the good paradise. stuff. Yes, you say, that's wouldn't right. you like to live in a world where there's no more evil people? That's it. Uh, where you get to coexist with, with you get to frolic in the fields with pandas and tigers and, and eat watermelons at picnic tables. That's what they hit you with. 
It's only once you've kind of gone down the the, the path that they take you down and you've kind of, the sunk cost fallacy kicks mm. in because you've in, invested so much time and you've been love bombed and mm. you've been doing this for maybe weeks or months. You've been studying with them. After a while, it's like, okay, I can handle a few of the unsavory things now. Um, and, and you don't want it to be, after a certain point, you don't want it to not be true because you've already committed so much time to studying it. Wow, this this has been incredible. I mean, we've, we've gone uh, pretty far into this. Um, we've got just a couple more questions we kind of want to ask. Like, um, is there different sects within the religion? Um, like uh, uh, Islam has got the Shia and the Sunni, uh, or is it just one organization and they are um, all, everybody underneath them is following that organization? Just one. It's one of the things that they claim is an identifying mark of them being the true religion, is that because they don't have breakaway sex, because oh. because the religion, uh, and, and it was something that convinced me as a child that it had to be true because you didn't have breakaways, um, you are all studying exactly the same material every week across the entire planet. Wait, so even the, the same verses? Like the, the Watchtower the, the... article? Yes. yes. Oh, so the Watchtower articles are like the, the, the sermons every week. Yeah, pretty much. So um, there'll be slight deviation between different countries, perhaps, but, but really all of it's coming from the same hymn book, really. So the Watchtower article that every congregation will study on a Sunday mm-hmm. is exactly the same material the whole planet round. Uh, they keep a very strict, tight um, leash, really, on the, it has to be coming from. The, I mean, the hierarchy is you've got your, your congregations with your elders in them, and then you have a group of congregations together, usually about 20 that make up a circuit, and then groups of circuits that make up a district. No, actually, sorry, the districts are gone now. That's been changed. <laughs> so, yes. and then you'll have a country uh, branch, and the branch gets everything directly from the headquarters in New York. So it's very, the, the, the mechanism of communication is very controlled. It's drip fed from the top right down through to the bottom. It's one of the things they brag about with their website. Our website is one of the most translated websites on the planet. Over 300 languages. Uh, Yeah, because they want to control everyone in each of those languages. So they will literally have teams set up and remote translation offices to make sure that every last word of what the quote-unquote faithful slave is teaching is transmitted into each and every language group, no matter how small, even if there's 11 people who only speak a certain language in some remote rainforest somewhere, they'll make sure that that language is catered for because then they get to control those 11 people. That's how obsessed they are with controlling everyone and making sure everyone sings from the same hymn sheet. And to end on a kind of more hopeful note, what sort of tips do you give to someone who may be coming out of the Jehovah's Witnesses? It's useless. Don't even try. No, I'm only joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> research 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 don't feel bad about it it's a win-win scenario it's what i try to say on my channel because if you take your beliefs seriously 
that your beliefs should hold up, should hold up to scrutiny. So if your beliefs are true and you do the research, you do objective research to find out what people like me are saying and what the criticisms are, and your beliefs are true, they'll stand up to all of that and you'll exit that progress, that process with your faith being rock solid. Your faith will be stronger than ever because it's been, it's been through that testing phase. If, however, you are being lied to and you are being exploited and it is a cult, then it's also a win because you managed to get out of it. So uh, that's what I try and tell people, that there's absolutely nothing to lose by objectively scrutinizing your beliefs. Mm. And And I want to reassure... Oh, sorry. Sorry, May. I I, I would want to add to that, that research, 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 yes, but don't believe what Watchtower tells you, that everybody outside is just satanic and waiting to eat you up and spit you out. Only some of us are. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's a lot of people out there that are wanting to support and help people come out. We know how hard it is. Um, You won't be doing this on your own. You will have support. And linking to that actual comment, uh, how can someone support someone who is coming out of religion? So someone who is not involved in a religion, how can we help those people who are trying to live? Just be understanding and compassionate. Loads and loads of compassion. um, And realize that they've they've got their work cut out because their entire brain has basically been rewired uh, to make decisions that are very counterintuitive and very against their humanity. So just understand that it's a very, very long process and very emotionally draining process for many who exit groups like Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. And that's why I, you know, I'm so grateful for, you know, the work that Recovering From Religion is doing because we need as many resources as possible to help people with that process. So yeah. it's wonderful for me because I'm basically only focusing on producing the resources to help people start down that process. I'm not really involved in the aftercare. So it's, it's massively convenient for me to just point people in the direction of you guys and say, go to them for the aftercare, you know, here's the information and these guys will help you process it all. So. Excellent. Send them our way. Uh, We we're happy to work. Like the, the volunteers are so incredibly well-trained over on the helpline and, the support group leaders are just fantastic and always are uh, 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 inspirational to me. Um, even in Sydney, sharing. <laughs> <laughs> even on the other side of the planet, <laughs> down under. Guys, yeah. we have a, um, a ton of questions, but uh, we also have a lot of resources. We kind of mentioned at the beginning that RFR has a uh, huge um, set of curated resources for folks who are beginning to question their um, beliefs and also who are struggling to come out of them. Uh, So we'll list these uh, resources in the chat, but they're also going to be uh, in the description too. And we'll let you know kind of how to connect with um, uh, both Sherry and Lloyd uh, as well. So we've got a lot of questions here. Uh, We were running out a little bit of a time. And so let's kind of keep it uh, quick fire here. Um, are there any famous Jehovah's Witnesses? Prince, Michael Jackson, um, Serena, Serena Williams. Really? Um, one or two others. Is this the point where your jaw drops, Amaya? <laughs> Not everything else. This point right here. 
I was just so shocked because like obviously Tom Cruise is like the famous Scientologist and I thought he was the only crazy one but clearly there's more of them yeah uh, but no. they're all bad associates though of course so <laughs> you don't associate and Serena's not baptized so she gets to play both sides so yeah. Yeah. I'm also seeing um Gary Gygax and Prince uh, is uh, is listed here in the um chat um uh, are Jehovah's Witnesses young Earth creationists? No, old Earth creationists. Really? So that they believe that the Garden of Eden thing happened literally six thousand years ago. So humans are six thousand years old, um, but everything else was created over a period of, they say, potentially thousands of years. <laughs> so they, that, yeah, they they don't like to be pressed on the subject. And they reject the, the the title creationist, but they are old earth creationists. Yeah. Uh, do you th another question that someone asked is: Do you think that there is ever a scenario or time where it's more beneficial for someone to stay a Jehovah's Witness rather than waking up? Yes, I do. I think if any parent has lost a child because of refusing blood transfusions, I yeah. I. I could not imagine what realizing the religion is wrong uh, would be mm -hmm. like. In that case, I, I would rather see them stay in for their own well-being. I just that would be terrible. Or if someone is very old and vulnerable, and a mm. support structure are believing Jehovah's Witnesses, it would be very, mm. very difficult if they were in the twilight of their lives to cut themselves off from all of that support structure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and what would you ideally like to see happen to the Watchtower Tract Society slash Jehovah's Witness religion? Accountability. Yeah. And you'll get varying responses to that, by the way. Lots of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses would like to see a mushroom cloud over the headquarters. Um, I, I believe in the rule of law, and I think that laws are being broken. Uh, perhaps laws that haven't been written yet in some cases and should be written. Uh, but I'd like to see the leaders held accountable for their abuses of people's human rights. Absolutely. Here in Australia, we're hoping that uh, enough pressure can be borne on the government to remove their charitable status so that they don't have, they can't claim tax exemption. Got it. I would like to see that happen. Yeah. I like that, that accountability answer. Yeah. Mm. That's, uh, that would go far into healing some of the wounds that they've caused. Um, uh, is there a um, different holy book uh, with than than just the regular Bible? They have just their the own Bible. Bible. Mm. They have their own Bible. Mm. Their own version of the Bible. Yes. But what are some of the differences? Like just quickly, what Jehovah in it all the way through <laughs> is the main difference. Yeah. So they don't say like the Lord or God or anything like that. Do they say Jesus? They do. They do have oh. Well, they don't view Jesus to be, they, they are one of a small number of non-Trinitarian groups. So they think that Jesus and God are separate. Um, but, but yeah, the main difference with the New World Translation is, is Jehovah is put in, in every conceivable place, even in the New Testament, um, which is a bit dubious from a scholarly point of view. Um, but I would say apart from that, I'm uncovering examples of where the New World Translation tends to water down mm. what the Bible says in, in a few places and make it sound a bit more palatable than it really is. So that's another interesting feature of the New World Translation. Yeah. 
Um, and how well does the top Jehovah's Witness person live? Is it like mansions and yachts, or is it the humble, humble, I don't know, lifestyle, I guess? It's difficult well, to say because there isn't any transparency. No. But I don't think they're living as paupers. And in fact, one of the biggest... Uh, biggest scandals on my youtube channel was bottlegate where where one of the governing body members got caught in a liquor store filling his cart filling his trolley with uh, uh lot with many bottles of very expensive single malt uh, and this is a leadership that has produced cartoons telling children to part with their ice cream money for the sake of the organization and yet they're quite happy to spend it on uh, on booze so i think they live very comfortably but we don't know exactly how comfortably because there isn't any transparency no. yeah yeah that's fair are um jehovah's witnesses allowed to be on social media like facebook or twitter or instagram or is that kind of just uh looked at frowned upon well, it's a raised our, eyebrow job yeah, i think you, yeah yeah you have to be careful in the early 2000s, the internet was spoken of as demonic. Don't go anywhere near it. But uh, as time has progressed and, and they've taken on and used some of these technologies themselves, um, they will just, you've got to be very careful about how you use social media. Yeah, yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much. This has been all the end of the Q&A. We couldn't answer all the questions, but there were so many and we're already <laughs> going over the, the time. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much, Sherry and Joy, for being here. Um, I know it's very late for you, so I'm very sorry. So, yeah, special thank you. Um, You'll be hearing from my lawyer, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been fun. <laughs> Please don't. I'm broke. <laughs> 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 yeah, this was this was fantastic um uh for a first go at um a religion specific rfrx discussion i i have learned so much and um i actually feel more sympathetic and and like what you had said lloyd i i can feel compassion knowing now what a person inside of this religion uh like getting a peek into their mindset and sort of and how controlling um and how uh uh, they don't own their own lives inside of this religion. Um, I, I can, I have this compassion now. I didn't really have before. Before, I just thought they were, they were annoying. They'd knock on my doors on Saturday morning, and I would love to kind of uh, debate them and uh, talk with them. And but now you've you've provided me an opportunity to be compassionate toward them. So I really, really appreciate this. Mission accomplished. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, we have a hangout session I, um, after this. I know that it's kind of late for you, Lloyd, and if you got a uh, jet, that's totally okay. But... I'm, I'm, I don't know how I'm still vertical, so <laughs> I, I think I will actually go and collapse if it's okay with you, but I have very much enjoyed this, so thank you for having me. I'll yeah, hang around. Not a problem. Uh, um, thank you. Uh, gosh, I can't. I'm so grateful you were here. Do you have any um, last words you want to say, Lloyd, before you um, take off? Um, yeah, just, uh, I don't know, uh, my John Cedars channel has a bunch of videos if you want to know more about, because we've only really been able to scratch the surface, so mm. there's a lot more there on the on the John Cedars channel, and also jwsurvey.org uh, has a lot of resources, jwfacts.com has some very useful resources, um, The there's a very good XJW subreddit, 
uh, with lots of support on there as well. So, uh, yeah, lots of great resources. And obviously the work that you guys are doing um, is, it feels like the cavalry riding to our rescue. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you very much for that. What is the, what is the JW sur survey um, all about, by the way? I set it up because I was interested in, um, you know, I had so many questions and I had so many uh, feelings and thoughts running through my mind as someone who was just exiting. And I wanted to know whether these were shared and to what extent these were shared by other people who were perhaps leaving or even still inside the religion. So I thought, well, it wouldn't it be interesting if we had a survey. And so that's what the website got set up for. And we still do do a survey. Um, but it's also become sort of about keeping an eye on the organization and uh, reporting on particularly the child abuse cases. Uh, so that's what we do mostly on JW Survey now. Perfect. Excellent. Well, um, good night or good early morning, Lloyd. And again, thank you very much for being thank here. Thank you so much, everyone. Take care. Hey, Lloyd. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Recovering from Religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. Hope, Healing, and Support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local Recovering From Religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering from Religion website. It's also a big help subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at recoveringfromreligion.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering From Religion podcast.